Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Now, if you've known me for any period of time, if you've heard me preach at all over the past few years, you will know that I enjoy running. I know. I, 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 now, I know that might sound strange because I don't look like a runner. Uh, I am not a greyhound, but I do enjoy running. I think I run mostly because of, you know, for my head. Uh, I, I run just to get out everything and to process and think. I now have a, a, a calibrator. I make a whole bunch of decisions when I'm out running, and I have to at least wait till I cool down when I get home just to, just to temper some of the things that I decide in my head, all these grand visions, all those tough conversations I'm going to have with people. Um, but it's important for me. And uh, you also may know that a bit at the middle of the year, I attempted to run the goal. Gold Coast Marathon, and uh, and I this was it was a bit uh, hit me well it was a bit touch and go to use the right phrase uh, I had Achilles injury in the month leading up to to the marathon so I I hardly ran at all uh, saw Achilles and in fact the week before the go, the marathon I decided you know I actually can't do it it's just too painful this is too risky but I had a friend coming down I was going to run with and I don't know, I just thought well maybe I can just run 10k I could just start it and that will spur me on kind of push me on to, to finish it next year and anyway I started slow, got down there, 6 o'clock in the morning, Megan dropped us off, and I thought, if I can just get to 10K, we'll see how we go. I was carrying my phone, just in case, I needed to call Megan to rescue me. But I managed to kind of nurse the injury, got, I got to the halfway point, and, uh, and I thought, I'm actually, I'm actually doing okay, I'm feeling okay, maybe, I'm not sure if I'm sore as, 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 as much as I should be, maybe my whole body was just getting sore, maybe it was the neurofin that I was taking, you should never take neurofin running, but I did, I was feeling great, and so I thought, I can keep going. I remember getting to the 32k mark, and I saw Megan, and I saw the girls, and there were some other friends from church there, and I felt amazing, maybe the neurofin had kicked I'm not sure, but I was. I, I thought, I am. This is incredible. The, the miracles are happening. I'm destroying. I, I was waving. In fact, I, I, actually, no, don't show the photo. It's not helpful. Um, I felt great. Three kilometers later, I hit the wall. About the 35k mark, all that joy and that energy and that and that verve and that power just left me. And I hit, you know, they, they talk about the wall around that point, 35K in, I hit the wall. I felt terrible. I, I was exhausted. I was starting to have battles in my mind, like, why am I doing this? I should just step off now. I shouldn't. In fact, around the 30K mark, I just, I grabbed, I got to the drink station, I just started walking. And all those people that had passed at the 32K mark, they just went past me. And I, I did some, I did some, I just thought, I, I can't, I'm, I'm exhausted, I've hit the wall, what do I do? So if I can just run at a slow pace, I might be able to do it. And then Olivia jumped out on the course, she was, she's not really supposed to do it, but she jumped out on the course and she ran for the last few kilometres with me. And I managed to finish the marathon. But one of the things that I, I just, was, was compelling to me, in fact, show the, there's, there's a photo of me running. You probably can't really see me, but this actually speaks to a little bit of 
about, that's me, you can't really see me there running. You see other people, you see the guy next to me, he's done. Um, here's the thing that struck me about the, about the whole thing, is it's actually not about how fast you run. It's actually not about, you know, how much of an athlete you are or not. Every different person running was running their story. They had a story. Some were, were incredibly deep. You know, one of the guys that I trained with, he was running to raise money for, uh, for cancer because his dad passed away with cancer. He'd never run a distance like that before. It was a profound moment for him. And you could just see with the pain etched on people's faces as they were running that this was actually something more than just running a marathon. This was a journey. This was people's stories. You know, in the book, and I'm going to refer to it a little bit, uh, The Critical Journey uh, by Janet Hagberg and Robert Gulich. Maybe you've heard it before. They, they talk about life not as a trip, not as just getting from a destination from point A to point B, but life is actually far richer than that. It's far deeper than that. Life is a journey. And it comes with all the ups and the downs, and it comes with all the, all the, the challenges and the joys but it's what makes the journey the journey. And they speak about how we're not to focus on the destination so much as what is going on in our spiritual and personal life as we live out our story, as we live out our journey. And part of that journey, we experience and we work through a critical moment, an access moment, which is called, they call, the wall. We have to work our way through the wall. And they say this, there is a deep sense of God at work in us in the wall experience. And at the same time, we are at a loss to describe it. We enter the wall with fear and trepidation, but we become less afraid of being afraid because of God's leading. We are on holy ground. We are experiencing a pivotal moment when we feel drawn to surrender, knowing it will not be easy but it will be worthwhile. We are dying to self and waiting to be reborn. As we look at the story and the journey of Joseph, this morning we're going to look at his worst, lowest ebb. The point where you could imagine that he hits the wall. Where we got to last week was, if you were here, and just to fill in the story, Joseph found himself serving uh, in a high-ranking official's home, Potiphar. And he served well, and it says that the Lord gave him success in all he did. But then, as you may know the story, Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him, then abused him, and then accused him. And Joseph finds himself in the royal prison. And then as we saw last week, he's, he's kind of on, the, he, this, is, this is a bad place. He's found himself in prison, but even in that place, it says that the Lord granted him success. And it's kind of the midpoint. We've got, I've got this journey. You know, I've, I've, I've actually did get someone to design this up for me this week because I couldn't, you know, we've had a graph every week I've preached so far and they've been really poor, so I got them designed. But this is a bit of his story. You see the journey of his life as you track it through. And we see here that he's abused and falsely accused and he finds himself in prison. That is his point. And now 
we're going to move through his lowest ebb. Joseph is forgotten in prison. And so I'm going to fill in the gaps. I'm going to fill in this part of the story. And I don't have time to read the two chapters or else that would be me done and we'd be uh, moving into ministry time. So I'm going to quickly uh, sketch through the story. In Gen- and you can go back and you can read some of this. But in Genesis chapter 40, we see that he finds himself in prison. God has given him success in his leading in this royal prison. And part of the, the reality of being in a royal prison is he's surrounded with other people who have served in prominent places, positions of power who have found themselves in prison. And we read in Genesis chapter 40 that he finds himself with the, uh, the cupbearer, the butler to Pharaoh and the baker to Pharaoh. And it says, we read that, the, that, that Pharaoh uh, in some way was not happy with them. We don't have any kind of detail in that, but he was offended by them in some way. And so they find themselves in prison. And Joseph gets to know them. And both of them have dreams. And they come to Joseph. I don't know how that all works, but they come to Joseph with dreams. Remember the Genesis, the Bible, all these hyperlinks. Dream is one of those hyperlink moments, those click on dreams. It's a theme throughout the Bible in this story. And they come to Joseph with dreams. But it's interesting that Joseph says to him, listen, I don't interpret dreams, but God is the one who gives dreams and he will be the one that interprets it. It's a bit of a change of language compared to when Joseph was a younger man wearing his Technicolor dream coat. He interprets the dreams for them. It's good news for the cupbearer. It's bad news for the baker. And then we pick up the story, oh, sorry, and then we, we, we read the rest of the story. At the end of uh, Genesis chapter 40, we see that the baker is impaled. It's not good news for him. He ended up being killed by Pharaoh. But the cupbearer is elevated back to his position as the butler to Pharaoh. And then there's these profound words. See, when Joseph interprets the dreams to these two guys, they say to him, when we get out of here, we will remember you. We will remember. In fact, it says, uh, it says we will remember you. And then in verse 23, we see as the cupbearer finds himself ele- elevated back into the place of honor in the palace. Verse 23, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And then chapter 41, uh, and then we see in verse 1 of chapter 41, these words. When two full years had passed. Let's go back to that graph for a moment, guys. There's two years. He has the dreams. You can imagine at this point, Joseph's feeling, I'm out of here soon. The cupbearer has been restored. He's going to remember me. He's going to tell Pharaoh, I'm out of here. I'm set free. My future is restored. But we read that the cupbearer forgot Joseph. He finds himself not just in prison, he's forgotten in prison. Can you imagine what that's like? There's nothing worse than living with hope, and this hope in your heart but with no sense of future, and then it being forgotten. Not only is he in prison, he's forgotten, abandoned in prison. This is Joseph's wall moment. Verse 1, though, of chapter 41 says, When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. 
Let's read from verse 9. The words will be on the screen. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each the man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And notice these words, I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And then Pharaoh goes on to explain and interpret the dreams that Pharaoh has of wheat and calves. You can go and read it later on. And then we read this in verse 32. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh, this is now Joseph speaking, in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man to put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by famine. Let me just pause here. It's not just the country. As we know, as we continue to read the story, this will be for his family too. The family that God has made covenant with. Joseph has a role to play. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom this is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and, as, and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Joseph, in almost an instant, moves from the place of the wall into a place of significant position and authority. But there are things that Joseph needed to go through. He needed to go through the wall moment in order to be prepared for a position of authority. And here's the thing I was going to cover today really quickly is this, is that we need to learn and allow, we need to allow The invitation of this story is to allow tough times to be our teacher. Allow our trials to be our teacher. There's three things I think that Joseph learns in this season of walking through the wall. Firstly, we learn to find significance in insignificant places. We learn to find significance in insignificant places. I'm an Enneagram 3. If any of you know what an Enneagram 3 is, Enneagram 3s is a personally profile thing. They they love to be seen as successful. 
Now, threes just love to be significant. They, 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 they love to be known to be seen, and they hate failure. And so I've been working through, that. that's just been my journey, I've been dealing with this for my whole life. But, uh, but and maybe that's you too, because the reality is, is I think that we all love to feel significant. We all long to feel significant, and more and more so in our social media age, which honors two things. Firstly, it elevates significance. We want to be influencers, and so this whole, there's this whole genre now where you can make money by being significant, by being an influencer. You can make money by just taking photos and videos of yourself, and it can be monetized. This is an industry now. In fact, uh, surveys say that emerging generations, many of them just want to grow up to be famous. doesn't matter how. They just want to be significant. We live in a culture that honors and perpetuates this thing that we need to be significant and successful publicly, and it needs to be quick. That's the other thing within our world today is it's instant. We know whether we're significant and successful, whether there's a a, a tick or a thumb goes up. Followers kind of say, yes, they affirm. And so we want success and we want it Now, that is the world that we're in. We seek significance and we want it now. I think if we're really honest in each of our heart, we've had to do that journey. We long for significance. And we can see in the life of Joseph that that's true as well. He had significance from a young age. He had his robe and his cloak and he was honored. Here is a young man who was given significance But as we've seen in the journey, that turned on him and he found himself in an insignificant place. Not only does he find himself in prison, but he finds himself forgotten in prison. Joseph had hit the wall. And the wall is that place of surrender. It's the surrender of our desire to be in our own space significant. In the critical journey, we read this, sometimes something is always given up at the wall. That differs for each person. It usually is something central to one's identity. Giving up does not mean losing. It does not mean release and detachment in whatever form that takes. There may be a prior sense of being able to cope, unable to cope, of not knowing what to do or where to turn. Finally, in desperation, we give up and let God do whatever is right for us. Have you ever found yourself in that war moment where you realize actually everything that I was working for All those things that I thought would prop me up that would give me significance and value in the eyes of others just don't work. It's not giving me what I long for. The wall is so critical because it raises this up. It forces us to go deeper. I watched an interview this week um, from... Uh, with uh, Bono, the lead singer of U2, who's just recently uh, released his uh, autobiography called Surrender. And uh, in this interview, he was talking about why he's called the book the way it is, is because that is the journey that I have been doing. It has been a deeply spiritual journey. He said this, I'm a fighter. I came out 
with my fists clenched. But I'm learning to surrender and I will always be learning to surrender. Learning to surrender to my wife. Learning to surrender to my creator. Learning to surrender to my bandmates. It's this life of continual surrender. And here's the thing. Surrender is the way to peace. Surrender is the place where we truly find who we are. It's deeply painful. And we have two choices when we, when we come to the war moment. We either work through it, we surrender and we give way to God and we enter into the process or we subvert it and we run away from it. And we run away from the difficult confronting conversations or the difficult things and applying ourselves. We detach. And more and more in the world that we live in, there are so many outs, there's so many distractions that actually subvert us walking in a healthy way through the wall. But when we do it well, when we walk through this season where we feel insignificant, we actually, in the grapple, we actually find where true significance lies. We are actually forced into a deeper place where we need to come to a place of grace, of acknowledging and recognizing that we can't and we never could and it's not worth trying. It's that place of surrender and receiving grace. That is the journey, that is the gift that the wall invites us into. We find a new place of significance. And this, we know, as we look at the life of Jesus, this is true. This is a challenge for us because God himself went through the wall for us. God himself humbled himself. And we know the passage, Philippians 2, many of us, which speaks to this journey. And Jesus invites us in and Paul challenges us in this, this hymn to actually walk into that place of surrender and find a different kind of significance. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others in your relationships with one another. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He surrendered himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. God walked through the wall for you and for me. And when we do likewise, like Christ, we will find a new freedom. We will find a new life. Because here's the thing about surrender. Here's the thing about grace. When you find yourself at the bottom, there's no, there's no further to go. You can't go any further down. And when you can't go any further down, it's kind of like, well, I can't be humbled anymore. I've got nothing to lose here. There's a new gift, there's a new grace, there's a new freedom that comes from it. And it's in that place that we can be then for the other. We're not, we're not managing our public anymore. 
We're not managing our facade anymore. It's all gone. And when we stop managing how we appear, how significance, all of a sudden we begin to see the significance in others. All of a sudden we begin to be others focused. All of a sudden we see this with Joseph in prison. He is others focused. He is in ministry mode, ministering to the cupbearer and to the baker. He is blessing them. He's finding significance in a different way way I love what Mother Teresa says someone who did this journey she says this as she served in the dusty streets of Calcutta she says this the good you do today may be forgotten tomorrow do good anyway give the world the best you have and it may never be enough give your best anyway for you see in the end it is between you and God it was never between you and them anyway. We're released. When we find significance in insignificant places, we are a free people. We are a dangerous people for good and for love. In tough times, we learn that true significance is found in insignificant places. Secondly, as we look at the story of Joseph, we find that it is a place where we learn to use our gifts and our strengths. We learn to identify and grow in our gifts. And there's two, er two areas that I want to point out in the life of Joseph here as he finds himself at the wall in prison. Firstly, we see that he grows in the gift of interpretation. Now, what's really interesting here is that he had already interpreted a dream when he was a kid. Remember, he had the two dreams, and, he, and he's saying, listen, I'm going to be a person of significance, and you're going to bat family, you're going to bow down to me. And then what's the next thing? He gets sold into slavery. You could imagine through that whole period as he finds himself right to the bottom, forgotten in prison, that he, he, he would have thought, man, I totally got those dreams wrong. I, I don't know how to interpret dreams. I'm rubbish at inter I I am false. I'm never going to try to interpret dreams again because I am so wrong. Yet it's in these places where he finds himself in prison then once again he's exposed to an opportunity where he expresses a gift. These two guys come and say, hey, we've had dreams. And this time Joseph says, I ain't the one interpreting the dreams. It is God who will interpret the dreams for me. He will show us. He will lead us. And here's the thing. And here's what I love. Is that there is a shift and a journey through the process of going through the wall where Joseph grows in his understanding of who God is and the way in which he works. So Pharaoh gets to the point of saying, the spirit of God is on this man. It's the point of surrender. There is a death that goes on in Joseph where the gift is not mine, it's God's gift. There is a surrender. And as he surrenders, and as he practices, he grows in confidence. I don't think that Joseph could have had the emotional and intellectual integrity and strength and courage to stand in front of the king of the greatest empire of the world of that time and say, Pharaoh, this is what God is saying. Pharaoh, this is what you must do. 
if he hadn't gone through the journey in prison. He wouldn't have had the confidence. He couldn't have gone from that place of feeling rejected as a young man, questioning and doubting his gifts, to the point of standing in front of the greatest leader of the world at that time and saying, this is the dream interpretation without going through the process in prison. Through our tough times, we learn, we grow. There is something about practicing in the small, insignificant places. I've got to say, it's a real... I, I, you know, we talk about gifts of the Spirit because there's something of the gift of the Spirit on Joseph. I want to say just a moment of encouragement for you. God has gifted every one of you. He's placed gifts on your life. Are you using them or are you practicing them? I've I got to say for me, I've, I've, I've learnt the gifts that God has given me. I absolutely love praying for people and hearing the voice of God. I believe I've got a gift of words of knowledge for people. I, I've just seen it. As I've practiced and made mistakes and learnt, God's shaped and grown me. It's not a gift that is mine. It's a gift that I steward for God. And it gives me great joy. And I see it all the time where it's just, I pray for people and say, God, I, I feel like God is saying to, and specific words, like accurate, specific words for people that opens their hearts and lives in new ways. I love, particularly love it with Alpha because I don't know the people. And sometimes they don't even know God and God speaks to them. It's got nothing to do with me, but it does, it does have to do with practice and doing it in the quiet place and having a go. I just want to invite you to step out and practice the spiritual gifts. You've got a sense of whatever it might be. You can go and have a look at all the lists of the spiritual gifts in the New Testament, but practice them and God will grow you in them so that you grow in confidence in them. Firstly, the gift of interpreting dreams. This is for Joseph. The second one was the gift of leadership. We see that he is given opportunities to grow. Now, whether he knew he was a leader or not, from that point of standing up in front of his brothers or not, it's clear that the presence of God is on him from Potiphar's house to prison that God has called him in his leadership. But here's the preparation journey. God has placed him in a place of power and a place of poverty to practice his leadership. And this is what I love about what we see in the story of Joseph. Yeah, you can imagine rising up in the places of power and part of his house to lead all the staff and become the chief operating officer there. That's one thing, great. But then he's in prison. Can you think of any harder place to motivate people than leading people in prison? Like people with no eyes, you know, no motivation, no reason for applying themselves. Yet Joseph is placed in a position of leadership to lead people who have no hope, who have no future. Why is that important? Because Joseph finds himself, as we read at the end, he is leading the whole project of delayed gratification for the empire of Egypt. He's going to have to lead the whole empire in a system of work where they don't necessarily know the why apart from some dream inter interpretation. They're going to have to take all the food and he, he's going to have to lead the nation as they gather up all their wheat and all their harvest and all their crops and say, no, you can't eat that. You've got to put it away. There is something that God is doing and equipping Joseph in, in the prison that will help him to lead Egypt into a place of safety and security. God is preparing 
Joseph in the quiet place. And he does it with us too. In the insignificant places, in the challenging, you know it. You see it. In the hard times, God is cultivating you, whatever that might be. And I think back to when Megs and I planted a, a life group in a pub in England. Now, pubs in England are social spaces that are a little bit different in Australia. They're places where people hang out. And we felt God call us to, to plant a, a midweek group in a pub. We had no idea what we were doing. We just knew that God had called us to do something different. And so we planted and it was hard. I ended up becoming the pastor of the pub, ministering to the bar staff. And, um, and we are genuinely just great joy, just praying for them and counselling them, seeing work colleagues come in. And it was really hard work. You know, it's, it's hard when you're trying to lead a church or lead a community in that space, but God was very good to us. And it was in that space that God gave us some of the tools to know how to plan a church. It's in that place that God grew our heart and love for an urban context and a city context. It's in that place that God showed us how to do mission in a post-Christian world of which we are now in. See, God puts us in places, and they may be for you right now. It might be a hard time, but what is God doing? What is he saying? And how is he wanting to equip you for your next season, whatever that might be? Allow the tough times to be your teacher. We learn in the tough times, true significance is found in insignificant places. Secondly, it's places where our gifts and strengths grow. And thirdly, and finally, we learn that faithfulness ultimately leads to fruitfulness. Faithfulness will lead to fruitfulness. Sometimes that's really hard. You can imagine for Joseph. He's right at the bottom. He's been forgotten in prison. How in the world is anything that I'm doing, serving in this prison, leading, doing whatever, I'm, I'm just going to pack it in. I'm going to give up. Why bother? Yet there is something in the heart of Joseph that he remains faithful. He remains faithful to the call of God in his life. I don't, I don't even know what that would look. Can you imagine two years? Imagine two years. Two years of not even knowing. For him, it was not two years. For him, it was the rest of his life. But yet he chose to serve faithfully in the prison. He didn't know what the outcome was, but he just remained faithful. And I'm here to encourage you this morning is that faithfulness will ultimately lead to fruitfulness. The week after I ran the Gold Coast Marathon, I, um, we went away, and there's some other stories about that which I've shared. Um, but I had, a, I had a book that I read over that time, uh, and it's a biography of Eugene Peterson, who was a, just a, a faithful pastor who uh, interpreted, uh, translated, I should say, translated the Bible into a paraphrase, which was called The Message. Maybe some of you have heard and have been blessed by The Message. He served and loved a community. He never grew a church more than 500 people. You would have thought of someone with such profile, he'd have led a large church. His church never got bigger than four or 500 in the 40 years that he served. And he writes a book, which I, I still need to, to, to finish, but he wrote a book called Long 
obedience in the same direction. It's actually a phrase from Nietzsche. And the, the, cap, the, the, the line after that, long obedience in the same direction, discipleship in an instant society. And he says this, there is a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. That word, a long, uh, long obedience in the same direction, walking out the life of discipleship has stuck with me. That is the invitation to the Christian life. Maybe that doesn't sound exciting for you right now. Maybe, maybe you're sitting here and going, okay, great, great, Andrew. That, that's not why I come to church. I come to church to get revved up and told that I'm going to take the world and tomorrow's going to be. You know what? That might be. But actually the greater invitation of the life of following Jesus, as, as Megan shared early, Jesus says, in this life you will encounter troubles of many kind, but don't give up. Don't lose heart because I have overcome the world. And we can trust God, long obedience, one step over the next in the same direction. And as we do, there will be fruit. I don't know when, but there will be fruit. I'm not saying everything is happily ever after because that's not true. We don't know what that looks like. But there is a principle of fruitfulness when we pursue faithfulness. I want to encourage you this morning. Maybe you're here and you're exhausted, you're tired, you're done, you're discouraged, you're filled with doubt. You're not quite sure why you're even here at church today. You're here because God wants to minister to your heart and speak to you. And He wants to say to you, don't give up. He wants to say to you, keep going. We need to keep going. The great John Wesley, the revivalist Englishman, John Wesley. One of the things I loved about serving in London was uh, in the church that we were in on the East Docks. Was, uh, it was Captain Cook's old church, which was a lovely sense of history. And the other piece of history was it was actually the last place that John Wesley preached. St. Paul Shadwell. I actually saw the pulpit. We still had the pulpit there where he stood and preached. Preached on the Sunday, died on the Wednesday preached his whole life, saw revival in England. I love this journal entry that, uh, that has been, you know, been read and maybe you've heard it before, but I want to encourage you with it. This was some journal entries from his preaching over the course of a couple of weeks. Sunday, AM, May 5th, preached at St. Anne's, was asked not to come back anymore. Sunday PM, May, Sunday PM, May 5, same day, preached at St. John's. Deacon said, get out and stay out. Sunday a.m., May 12, preached at St. Jude's. Can't go back there either. May 12th, Sunday p.m., May 12th, preached at St. George's. Kicked out again. Sunday a.m., May 19, preached at St. Somebody Else's. Deacons called a special meeting and said I couldn't return. Sunday p.m., May 19, preached on the street. Kicked off the street. Sunday a.m., May 26, preached out in a meadow, chased out of the meadow when a bull was turned loose during the service. <laughs> Sunday a.m., June 2nd, preached out at the edge of town, policed, moved me. Sunday p.m., June 2nd, afternoon service, preached in a pasture, 10,000 people came. 
Praise the Lord, he writes. And then he gives two verses. He says this, We are fools for, the, for Christ's sake, 1 Corinthians 4.10. And 1 Corinthians 15. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. Keep going. Don't give up. Faithfulness leads to fruitfulness. And we look to Jesus Christ, as Paul does here, as our inspiration, as our hope, and as our life. Hebrews 12, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And ladies and gentlemen, that is our future too, for those who are in Christ. I'm going to get the band to come up. And I'd love for us to sing just a, a, a bridge of a song to start with, and then we're going to pray for one another. And I reckon some of our greatest energy and strength comes when we remind ourselves of the stories of past. Like, we have the story of Joseph story of God's faithfulness in his life. We have stories, perhaps, of people that we know, stories like John Wesley. We have our own story as well. And we need to call to mind. That's one of the reasons why we gather and worship on a Sunday morning. It's not just warming up our vocals or it's the warming up for the message. When we sing, we're actually reminding ourselves of the great story that we're part of so that we may keep going, so that we may keep running. Hey, why don't we stand to our feet? We're just going to sing a song, Remember How Our God, He Never Fails, He Never Fails. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.